Join Dr. Brown as he continues to dig deep into the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he walks through the book of Galatians. This is Hearing is Believing. Truth matters. Truth matters. Our age is filled full of chaos, and I think that all of us would agree that truth matters. Our pandemic world needs truth. Afghanistan has fallen. We need the truth. Unfortunately, depending on your angle, you're interpreting the recent headlines one or two or maybe three different ways. Maybe you pick up one paper and it reads slightly a little different than the other paper. They're telling the headlines a different way. One news source tells it from a certain angle or a certain bent. So they tell one news source tells the news a little bit different than the other. And so what does that leave the rest of us with? We're trying to discern truth. It leaves the rest of us left to defend ourselves as we search for an accurate source. Truth matters. But the question that I want to ask you this morning is, how can you discern truth from error? How can you discern truth from error? Is uh, life just a set of opinions or experiences, or is there something more concrete that guides us along? Christians have a certain confession. Those of us who follow Jesus, we proclaim that truth has a name. It's not just something, it's someone. Christian confession says that truth has come to us through Jesus. And he said this about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So how do we know that truth has come upon us? How do we know that truth has come upon us? What happens if, for example, in Galatians, if we encounter what Paul warned in Galatians chapter 1, he told us that people would come preaching a distorted gospel, distorting us, or uh, troubling us through their distorted gospel. And let me just say this and prepare you, those distorted gospels are going to come to you. Sometimes they'll come knock on your door. Other times they'll stand behind pulpits like this. Sometimes the, will come through a certain teacher, or one that you look up to and admire. Distorted gospels will come. Sometimes those distorted gospels can be something as simple as you thinking salvation comes through what you can do or what you will do instead of what Christ has done. Let me say that again because I want you to think through that. Sometimes those distorted gospels will come through your thinking that salvation comes based upon what you can do or what you might do or you will do instead of believing that salvation is all based upon what Christ has done. And so I'm excited as we continue our study in Galatians, we're looking at this lengthy section in Galatians, and it is a lengthy section today. We're looking at chapter 1, verse 11, through chapter 2, and verse 14. And the reason we're looking at that section is because it really, Paul's just dealing with the same subject. He's laying out his biographical information. He's detailing his call and his conversion. And he's, uh, he's telling us what it was like or what, how he encountered Jesus. And we have to understand this in particular with the apostle Paul. Paul was not always an apostle. Before being an apostle, he was a Pharisee. Now what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is one who was a zealous interpreter and adherent to the Judaism that was derived from the Old Testament. 
And so Paul had an encounter, though. He encountered the resurrected Christ. He was on his way to persecute Christians, and then Jesus came and appeared to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And as a result of that encounter, he was changed forever. This man who went to terrorize the church became the church's earliest and greatest missionary. And so Paul tells his story to the Galatians, and it's, it's so impressive because his story is the message itself. His story is a story of amazing grace. And that's what he wants these Galatians to understand. He wants to ensure the Galatians of the source and the substance of his message. So I've entitled this sermon today, The Source and Substance of Our Faith, or the Christian Message, or of the Christian Faith. And so Paul tells the source and substance, and to do so, he tells his story. Now, we're going to focus our attention this morning on this, on this entire passage, but uh, what I want to do today is I want us to read aloud chapter 1, verse 11 through 17. That'll sort of give us a direction on where we're going. So hear the Word of God this morning, beginning in Galatians 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus." So Paul begins telling us his biographical story, and there are really two major themes that Paul wants to to bring to the mind of the Galatians as he tells his story. Two truths that we're going to concentrate on today. So I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. They'll be on the screen for you to write down later. Hopefully you've had a chance to get your recovery sermon journal, but this is a great opportunity for me to plug that in and remind you that we have this resource available for you. The first section teaches the gospel comes through revelation. The gospel comes through revelation. And we learned that from chapter 1, verse 11 through 17, as well as chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And then we learned this. We learn not only does the gospel come through revelation, but the gospel brings transformation. And to get that point, we look at chapter 1 and verse 18 through 24, and then chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And so after Paul tells his story, the source and substance of the faith, his story of amazing grace, he goes out. After he does that, then we really get into the meat of what Galatians is all about. For example, look at chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, and here's the meat of the whole book of Galatians in verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus 
Christ. And so for our purposes today, though, before we get there, we've got to see the source and substance of the Christian faith. And so we'll focus today on our section. So we're asking this question. Now, don't get lost in the details, okay? We're asking this question, how does the gospel come to us, and what difference does it make? How does the gospel come to us, and how do we know the difference that it makes? And so, number one, hopefully you're writing this down. Number one, write this down. Our gospel comes through revelation. You say, what's the important part of it coming through revelation? In other words, the gospel, listen carefully to this statement. The gospel is something that exists outside of us and above us, and is thereby not the result of our own cleverness. It's not us thinking up some way to heaven. It's not up to our opinion on what really sounds is going to get us there. No, the gospel is something that has come to us. It exists outside of us and above us, and it's not the product of our own cleverness. The gospel is something that we receive and we believe. And so the gospel is this wonderful message of of Christ coming, Christ living, Christ dying, Christ rising, Christ ascending, and Christ coming again. Did you hear anything repeated in all of that? Christ. The gospel is the story of Christ. And this message that we preach, that we proclaim, this message is something that happened from God to us that works from God in us. Let me say that again. This message is something that happened from God to us that works from God in us. This is the true gospel, a gospel that is received and a gospel that is believed. And this gospel is through revelation. You say, well, what's the importance of, again, highlighting the fact that it's through revelation, as opposed to what? As opposed there to being uh, subject to our own cleverness or our own inclinations or our own imaginations. No, that's not the gospel. Matter of factly, this is the first thing that I want you to write down under that point. The gospel is uh, according, uh, the gospel comes through revelation, and thereby it is not man's gospel. Look at what Paul says here in Galatians 1.11. Look at the language. He says, I would have you know, brothers or brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me, now here's the, here's the key phrase, is not man's gospel. Do you see that? Now, that thought is an elaboration of what he said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at this, how specific it is. It says that he was an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, the gospel that Paul is preaching to the Galatians is of divine origin. And since it speaks from a position outside of us and above us, that is, it's, it's transcendent, it's a, in a transcendent position, since it is above us, it is, in, it is authoritative, and since it's from God, it is infallible. And so here's the real danger that Paul is laying out for these Galatians. The danger of the Galatians is, is if they reject this gospel, it's not that they reject Paul. It's that they reject God's self-communication through revelation. So Paul says it's, it's not a matter of whether or not you accept the gospel and accept me. 
It's whether or not you accept God Himself. Look at those words in verse 1 of chapter 1. Not from men, nor through man. Now, that's an interesting way to, to write, a, write a phrase. Not from men, nor through man. Listen, here's how I understand that. Since it's not from men, the authority is vested in something other than man. Since it is not through man, it is capable of doing what we are incapable of doing ourselves. And that is, as the author of Hebrews says, saving us to the uttermost. This gospel that is not from man nor through man is able to save to the uttermost those who trust in Jesus. Now, Paul's already told us a little bit about man's gospel. Look at this phrase here. I want you to see this in verse 8. Look at what he says in chapter 1 and verse 8. Look at verse 7. Let's start there. He says this, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you. They want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, that's important. What's Paul's message? It's the gospel of Christ. Paul says there's going to be some who are going to come, and they're going to distort the gospel of Christ. What's the opposite of the gospel of Christ? Man's gospel. Look at verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, look at this language. Let him be accursed. Now, that's a strong Greek word. The word is anathema. You know what it means? It means damnable. Paul says, let him be damned. And he says that. And the reason that he says that is because this, this is, this, if anyone preaches this different gospel, that they're preaching a gospel that is anathema, that is damnable, that is consecrated or set aside for destruction. You see, the gospel is not the gospel of man that leads to damnation. The gospel is the gospel of grace that leads to salvation. The gospel revealed to us is a gospel of grace. And you know what grace is? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. As opposed to man's gospel, as opposed to something that you think that you can earn or you can deserve, grace comes up and says, no, 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 I'm going to give you something that you can't earn. I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. And because you can earn it, because you don't deserve it, because I give it to you, you can't lose it because it's a gift. And salvation is a gift of God's grace. Look at how specific Paul gets here. Look at chapter 1 and verse 15. Look at what it says here. It says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and here's the R word grace here, and who called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I want to say as I read that, we don't want to gloss over that, we want to read that. And we want to admit before we delve into it that there's so much mystery that's there. But look at it. He set me apart before I was born. He called me by His grace. He was pleased to reveal. You know what all of those words are highlighting? All of those words are highlighting amazing grace. Paul is saying this, God is the one who saved me. 
God is the one who sought me when I wasn't seeking him. Matter of fact, they think about Paul's own life. He was head fast, heading headfast in the opposite direction, and God met him where he was and saved him and set him apart. But look, even more specific than that, and here's where the mystery comes in. Paul says, it just didn't happen at that moment. God arrested me on the road to Damascus, and he showed me the plan that he had for me before I was even born. And you know what the gospel uses to explain what that is? The word that the gospel uses to explain what that is, that phenomenon? The word is grace. Grace. You say, well, can you get a little more specific in telling me how all those... No, I can't tell you. I don't know what it means, but here's what I know is in the text. It says that he who had set me apart before I was born. You see, so many of us, I'm afraid, we we go over this text and and we get tangled up in some of the weeds and we wonder, well, what about this? Well, what about all of those things? And, And we try to explain it too much instead of delighting in amazing grace. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to untangle you from all of those wonderings that you may have. And I want the delight of the psalmist to be your delight this morning. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, listen to it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as yet there was not one of them. So, you know what the psalmist just said? He said, God, you saw me, and you saw all of my days before I even had one of them. And then listen to the next part of the psalm. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Some of you have all these kind of questions about divine sovereignty, maybe, and human responsibility, and all of these other questions that, you know, cause us to get in a theological quagmire. But Above all of that, do what the psalmist says. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. So much so that poetically the psalmist says that he falls asleep contemplating him. But you know what the next line is? He awakes. And this God that he's been contemplating is right there with him. Unmovable. The gospel is by grace. And you can read more about grace. The Bible is filled full of grace. You can read more about grace. Maybe a place like Ephesians chapter 1 or maybe Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul lays out a little clearer what he means by this thought of, of, of God set me apart before I was born, called me by his grace, pleased to reveal his son to me. But you know what? If you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, you know what you'll learn about amazing grace? Here's what you'll learn. It was grace that sought us. It was grace that bought us. And it is grace that sustains us. And this is why Paul goes to such great lengths to say the gospel is not from men. It's not through men, but it's from God 
who sought us and bought us, who set us apart for himself, who saved us, and now he calls you his very own. This is why Paul says, he says that this revelation is not something that is in the imagination of man. Instead, it it is in the mind of God, and God has expressed himself. And how has he done that? He's done it through his word. Revelation, the gospel, is according to Scripture. Now, Paul, remember, he was a Pharisee. This meant that uh, he had more than a working knowledge of the Old Testament. You could say about Paul that he had, uh, he had, he had uh, achieved expert status in the Old Testament. Look at verse 14. Look at the language here. Again, every word matters. Look at the verse 14. Paul doesn't say that he was advancing in the knowledge of Scripture, does he? He doesn't say that. He says, but he was advancing in the traditions of his fathers. And so Paul's opponent suggests that, that Paul's interpretation of the Old Testament was wrong. They come to Paul and they say, what about this? What about these laws? What about fasting? What about the dietary restrictions? What about circumcision? What about the way that you wear your clothes? What about all these other things? They were saying, Paul, you've missed what the Old Testament is about. So their solution was Jesus plus all of these things. And Paul's answer from reading the Bible was it's not Jesus plus all of these things. Paul's answer was Jesus paid it all. You see, the gospel that we proclaim is a gospel according to the Scriptures. It's not against the Scriptures. It's according to the Scriptures. And listen to me carefully. A proper interpretation of the Scriptures will lead you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what particularly will you come to the knowledge of as it relates to Jesus? You will understand that He is an eternal Son. You will understand that this eternal Son was sent. This eternal Son was slain. This eternal Son was ascended. And this eternal Son is soon coming again. You say, where do you get that from? I get that from the Old Testament. I get that from the Bible. You see, Jesus is the Word by which the Father brought all things into being, Genesis 1. He is the ark of safety that keeps us from the wrath of God, Genesis 6. He is the lamb provided for Abraham's son Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. He is the lamb slain to save his people from the angel of death during the Exodus. He is the prophet that Moses promised in Deuteronomy would come, and he himself is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. He's the promised son of David, according to 2 Samuel, who is building a temple of the saints of God. He is the lamb, John says, as he meets him on the uh, Jordan, on the banks of the Jordan. He is the lamb we look at, and he takes away the sins of the world. He said, in John, he said, Moses wrote of me. He told the Pharisees that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. And Paul's going to say this later in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Jesus is the Israel of God. Or as one of my children's favorite Bible book says, the Sally Lloyd-Jones, she says this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers the name of Jesus. This gospel that we proclaim is not in competition with the Scriptures. The gospel, listen, listen, the gospel is according to Scripture. And this gospel comes to us through revelation.
Look at this. I want you to see this. This is, this is incredible. You can ask some of the staff. I came by their office as, as soon as I read this and was studying this, and I was weeping when I, when, I, when I read this. Look at verse 17. It says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Look at this. I went away into Arabia. Arabia. You know what's in Arabia? There's a certain mountain in that region. It's Mount Sinai. We just finished our uh, Summer in the School of Faith here series where we looked at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai. And here Paul says, I went away to Arabia. Could it be, and I don't know, but could it be that Paul went and studied the law, the place that it was first given? So here he goes, and he, he meets Jesus, as he says, as the, after the Father was pleased to reveal his Son to Paul, he would say to the Corinthians, he was one untimely born. Look at this. He went, and look at verse 18, he went and studied for three years. Three years. That's how long the earthly ministry of Jesus was, three years. So where the disciples... Remember, he's one untimely born, where the disciples got every day with Jesus for three years. Paul went away to the place the law was given. After encountering the resurrected Lord, he went away with his Bible in his hand, with the vision of Jesus, and he studied the Bible and he found Jesus there. It's no wonder in the life and practice of Paul why he would go in, in, in the, in the uh, book of Acts, he would go to the Jewish synagogues first. It's no wonder. You know why? Because he had a message. And you know what that message was? Jesus is the Christ according to the Bible. He went and he, he showed them Christ according to the Scriptures. And this is what I mean. Listen, let me make this clear. When I'm talking about Christ according to the Scriptures— I'm talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, listen carefully, the Old Testament proclaims. It doesn't just look ahead. It doesn't just promise fulfillment. But listen carefully. The Old Testament proclaims a sent son who is the crucified son, who is the sinless son, who is the risen son, who is the coming again son. All of that from the Old Testament. He went, and he, this is why he says what he says. He was, he was uh, um, extremely zealous and progressing in the traditions of his fathers. He doesn't say he was progressing in the Old Testament. He didn't understand the Old Testament. Not until he met Jesus. And there's some that I'm speaking to today. You don't understand the Old Testament. You know why? Maybe. It's because you haven't met Jesus. You haven't seen how this Christ is the fulfillment. Or you look at, it, you look at your Bible and, and you think, well, that's the old stuff. We don't have to do that. No, no, no. The whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is Christian Scripture. Because the gospel we proclaim is a gospel of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, according to the Scriptures. The gospel comes to us through revelation. It isn't man's gospel. It's all of grace. It's not in competition with the Scriptures, but it is according to 
the Scriptures. Now I want to ask you a question. How do we know? How do we know if we have believed the gospel? The greatest proof of the gospel, listen, is the direction your confession takes you. How do you know if you've believed the gospel? Well, brother, sister, just look where you're walking. I'm not asking you to look where you want to walk. I'm asking you to do an honest evaluation and see the direction of your life. Does your confession take you towards self-reliance, self-justification, or does your confession take you towards marvelous grace that says, my only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own. Do you boast in your good deeds, or is your boast in your Redeemer? Do you boast in what you have done, what you plan to do, or in what Christ has done? For you. And if you answer those questions honestly, you will know the road that you're traveling. You see, as Paul learned, and he lays this out in his own experience, our gospel, the gospel, it brings transformation. Transformation. It's not okay to say that you believe in Jesus and then look at your life and not see transformation. It's not about taking it and hiding it in your prayer closet or making sure nobody knows. The gospel brings transformation. What type of transformation? Well, in Paul's case, it brought a brand new way for him. What kind of transformation will it bring for you? It will bring a new way. Remember what he was? He said that he was formerly a persecutor. What's he now? He's a missionary. He was formerly a Pharisee. Now he's an apostle. He was formerly, look at this, he was formerly advancing in the traditions of men. Now, because of Jesus, he understands his Bible. The gospel gives us a new way. And I'm speaking to people here this morning who have a way that they're traveling. All of us have a way that we are traveling, some of us have a way that we had been before. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question, what is your new way? How has the gospel of Jesus Christ changed you? You see, like my dad, who, was a, uh, who is a Vietnam veteran, who uh, was a hardened war hero, and my dad would tell stories about how hard his heart was until the day, and I look forward to telling you that story one day, when my dad was arrested by God in the workroom of Eastern Airlines. My dad, who was, who was going about with all of these different people, doing all of these different pursuits, my dad when he met Jesus, when Jesus met him, it changed him forever. 
And you know, something for me to contemplate even about how God was working out my salvation before I was born. My dad, as a, as a, as a Vietnam veteran, he tells stories oftentimes of almost being blown up, being shot at, almost losing his life because of a tiger in the middle of the jungle. And you know what that tells me in some mysterious way? And I, I can't contemplate, I can't expound on this. All I can do is tell you this. In some strange way, God was working out my salvation in the jungles of Vietnam. I can't explain that. But I'm grateful that that bomb fell short. I'm grateful that the tiger wasn't a real threat. All of these things that I could go down and say. But when my dad met Jesus, I remember my great-grandmother, Methodist lady, she loved Jesus, Ma Haney. She got an inclination. My dad had a tough night's sleep. Soon as day broke... Ma Haney knocked on my dad's door and said, Honey, I've had you on my mind all night. Is anything okay? And he began to tell her what was going on. And she slapped her hands together and she pointed her little bony finger at my dad's face and said, You're under conviction, honey. God met my dad. Changed his life forever. And I never had to know a man that was hardened, had a hard heart. Instead... I knew a man that was alive by grace through faith. What's your new way? You all have a new way. You see, I was saved when I was six years old. My wife says I was five, but we're still arguing about that. Anyway, I was a young kid. Some of your stories are more dramatic than others. Others of us, it's taken a while to get, let grace catch up with you. But you know what the difference, you know what the uniqueness of us all is? All of us share the same story. All of us are being transformed. All of us are being renewed day by day. And this is what a disciple is. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but I hope that you're not frustrated. I hope that you're not concerned. I hope that you're not overly dismayed because you know what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who walks with Jesus. That's what it is. Every new day, you have an opportunity to get up. And every new day, you know what you need more than you needed the day before? You need grace. And you know what's waiting for you? Grace. And you know what will be waiting for you the next day? Grace. It'll be there. I remember my missions professor, Ant Greenham, he would tell us that a disciple is one who is irrevocably embarked on the Jesus way. A disciple is one who is irrevocably embarked on the Jesus way. You're forsaking all others. You're trusting in Him. You were headed towards sin and self. You were headed towards destruction and despair. But now, by grace, through faith in Jesus, you are bound for the promised land, the glory of God. Notice what he says here in verse 23 through 24. They were only hearing it said, look at this, I love this. He who used to persecute, there again, past tense, he who used to persecute is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And here's your verse, okay? And they glorified God because of me. Let me just ask you a question. Who is glorifying God because of you? Look at what happens here, skipping ahead rather quickly. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. The gospel not only gives, a, the gospel brings transformation, it gives us a new way. Look at verse 10. It gives us an outward focus. He's concerned for others. He remembers the poor with eagerness. 
What a turn we have from a zealous pursuer of self to one who now, because of Jesus, considers others more significant than himself. You know how he got that or where he got that? He got that from thinking about Jesus' death on the cross for him. And then this morning, what type of transformation does the gospel bring? It takes us under authority. Look at what happens here in chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 through 10. He went back and he consulted with the apostles. He didn't do that because he needed their approval, but he knew that God desires to build a community of confessors. And this gives him the weight of what he said earlier in chapter 1 and verse 2, all the brothers with me greet you. I want to say this clearly. The proof that he, uh, he didn't need the approval of the apostles, but he knew that God's desire was to build a community. And so instead of standing alone, he stood with others. And the proof that he didn't need the approval from others comes in this exchange in verse 11 through 14 with, with, that he has with, with Peter. I love this where Paul is so touched by the truth that he's willing to go up to the mouthpiece of the apostles. He's willing to go to Peter, and he's willing to do to Peter what Jesus did on many occasions and tell Peter that he was wrong. He opposed him to his face. What kind of transformation does the gospel bring? The gospel brings a transformation of, of you standing for truth. And we need people who stand for truth in this day because there's a lot of falsities around us. You see, the gospel of grace matters more than a status. It matters more than a friendship. It matters more than you saving face. Listen, the gospel matters above everything else. College students, your transfer students, and all the rest of the students, and all of us here today, your classroom is going to invite you to have opportunities where you're standing for truth. You're going to encounter people in this community who need to see the people of First Baptist Church, whether you're a casual attender or you're invested all the way in, they need to see people who stand for truth. And does it remind them, you know, of the things that we make fun of church, right? We say church is all about, they teach you to not to smoke and chew or go with girls that do. That's all that they think that we say in church, but it's so much more than that. It's about a new direction. It's about a new way. We were heading towards what didn't matter, but because of Jesus, now we know what matters. Or rather, we should say, now we know who matters. Truth matters. Truth stands through the ages. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to hold on to this. Remember, the gospel is not our idea. It doesn't depend upon us. We depend upon it. The gospel, listen, can be hindered by us, no doubt, but the gospel will always advance, even if it does so without us. There are so many things that are going to come at us that we don't even know yet. So many things that are going to seek to shake us. But here's what I want you to know this morning. The gospel is unshakable truth, and you don't hold the gospel so much as the gospel is holding you. Malcolm Muggeridge, he was a British journalist. He was a late convert to Christ. He said this, and I'm going to read this lengthy quote in conclusion. He said this to the Convention of Religious Broadcasters. So 1978, right? 
Vietnam War has just ended. The Cold War is just, uh, well, pardon the pun, the Cold War is just heating up. Everything in the world is, is a lot different than it is now, but really not too much different. Listen to what Muggeridge said to the Convention of Religious Broadcasters. Capital, capitalism will break down. Communism take over, or vice versa. Fuel will run out. Atomic waves will kill us all. Plutonium will lay us low. Overpopulation will suffocate us. Now listen to what he says. In Christian terms, such hopes and fears are equally beside the point. As Christians, we know that here we have no continuing city, that crowns roll in the dust. Every earthly kingdom must sometime founder. As Christians, too, we acknowledge a king men did not crown and cannot destroy. Let us then, Muggeridge says, as Christians, look beyond the intimations of decay in the institutions and instruments of power, beyond the collapsing regimes, money in total disarray, the dictators and parliamentarians alike, nonplused by the confusion and conflict that encompass them. Let us remember, Muggeridge says, that it is precisely when every earthly hope has been explored and found wanting, when every possibility of help from earthly sources has been sought and is not forthcoming, when every recourse this world offers, moral as well as material, has been expended to no effect, when in the shivering cold the last cigarette has been thrown on the fire, and in the deepening darkness every glimmer of light has finally flickered out, that it is then that Christ's hand reaches out sure and firm, that His light shines brightest, abolishing the darkness. The source of our gospel is God Himself. The substance of our gospel is eternity. Through Christ, God has reached us right where we are, depraved, darkened, and dead. And He reaches to save us. There is only one gospel. There is only one God. There is only one salvation. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God saves sinners, and He delights to do so. Don't fall prey to imitations. Instead, trust the Lord and be saved. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you that God saves sinners. Thank you that this gospel has come from you to us and then speaks into us, changes us, so we can live this life changed 
from incorruptible, from corruptible to incorruptible, to undignified to glorified, all because of Jesus. And it's my prayer that everyone within the sound of my voice would have the confidence to know it's that Jesus. It's Him. It's Him that I trust. Father, if that's someone today that needs your salvation, may they hear your voice. Realize that you have a plan for them. May they ask you to save them with the confidence that you will. All they have to do is respond to you and ask. You are more willing to save than we are even to ask. Save them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to follow Hearing is Believing on Facebook and rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us at hearingisbelieving.org.